and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and share. So this week seemed like a very slow week with not as much news as usual. But one thing that we can certainly see is that change is coming. I think one of the announcements that didn't get much attention, but that is very significant, is the news on FedNow. So FedNow is the Federal Reserve's payment platform, and it was announced that it should launch between May and July of 2023, which is our first hard date that we've seen on this. Mm-hmm. So Matt, what do you know about this platform? So essentially, FedNow is an instant payment system that you could think of the same way you would think of like a Venmo or PayPal or Zelle. The difference is that this allows direct instant transfers between businesses, between consumers and businesses, or from consumer to consumer that will settle essentially instantly um, for very little money. So what's... uh, What's happened in this space is that, as you've seen, you know, I think Zelle is a good example. Um, Zelle is a, is basically a payment service that's owned by the banking industry, um, but your bank has to participate in it in order for you to be able to utilize it. But with Zelle, you can send money from one bank account to another, essentially by using you know just a phone number or an email address, mm-hmm. and it does settle very quickly. Um, the different the the difference here is that there's no everyone is included. You don't have to be a member bank. um, Or if you compare it to something like Venmo, you don't have to have a Venmo account or a PayPal account in order to participate. Uh, All you have to have is a bank account and it will be an option for people with a bank account to be able to transact directly with other people at any time. And I think uh, historically they call this the interchange fee, which is when banks uh, pay between each other. There's like a Mm. roughly a 23 cent or so charge on average. This is going to bring that charge down to like five cents. So it's going to be much less expensive, instant settlement, and anybody with a bank account can participate without having to uh, sign up for a separate service. Yeah. So I have, uh, I have, I have a number of questions on this, but I guess I'm really curious about why you think they are trying to launch this. What is, what do you think the objective is behind this? Well, I think it's, it's a few things. I think one is that they see that there's this kind of fragmented space of instant payments and it was an opportunity for them to, to get directly involved. I think it also in a way ties into the possibility of a future CBDC, although they've, come out and said very clearly, this is not related to a CBDC. We actually think this might postpone the need for a CBDC. Um, So it's not its own uh, currency or token. It's not blockchain based. There are still many third parties involved. Um, So I think it was just, if nothing else, a way to try to make payments between parties more efficient than it currently is and less expensive. Well, those are certainly options, and it seems like they're trying to. One of the ways that I saw it is they're they're trying to counter some of the arguments that one might have for Bitcoin, and I'm going to include in that crypto, so that 
if I want to send you a payment, let's just say that I'm, I'm picking up some groceries late at night and uh, for whatever weird situation, right? So it's 1130 at night. I'm at the grocery store and I see that you've got a, a, a green, I don't know, some kind of exotic car or some kind of a car, car that I want to buy. And I said, you know, I've been you know, wanting one of those cars for a long time. I, would you consider selling it? The person says, yeah, I, I would sell it to you. I'm sure. And you want to pay, I'm just going to make up a number, $20,000 for this car. Well, at 11.30 at night, and let's say it's on a Friday night where the banks won't be open for a couple of days, you couldn't do anything with it. You certainly could not uh, wire the fund or, or give that person guaranteed funds until you had a bank involved. But if you had Bitcoin, you can send that Bitcoin 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It, it never there's never not an ability to send it and that will settle in about an hour, maybe less. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and I, I'm, I'm basing this on sort of the, the, the information they released, which is they brought up a situation where if you needed a cashier's check, you could, you know, you, you this could would be the equivalent, yeah, of that. Yeah. equivalent when, even when a bank is closed. So there, it seems like they're trying to counter some of the arguments for uh for bitcoin i don't know how much this does it i and i also don't know if this is the the camel's nose under the tent so to speak in order to, to test out a payment service that they can use later for a cbdc and and for people that aren't familiar with the cbdc a cbdc is a central bank digital coin and one of the well, there, there are a number of problems with central bank digital coins. I think we can leave that for another episode. Sure. But when I see a government entity saying, no, 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 this isn't about a central bank digital coin, and this is actually going to help delay a central bank digital coin, you always have to take the opposite of what they're saying. Because a lot of times the opposite is really true. They always say, well, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And then you know, six months later, a year later, two years later, they do it and they say, well, they just kind of pretend like they didn't say it. And the problem uh, is that, it, 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 well, historically, the problem would have been that there is no alternative money. So if the Fed had full control of the money, there was nothing you could do. And now we do have payment alternatives, which is going to be something that's going to come up in some of our other stories tonight. So I'm, yeah. I'm a bit confused here why they're doing this. Well, uh, I, yeah, I think there are a few things there. So the uh, the the reasoning I gave you as to why they're doing it is the uh, that is the I would say the innocent version of, of what mm -hmm. that's you know there's, that's mm -hmm. the best case scenario. Um, the uh, Leo Brainerd, who's one of I think the vice chair of the Federal Reserve said this in the article that I was reading, the shift to real-time payment infrastructure requires a focused effort, but the shift is inevitable. So, you know, they're acknowledging at that point that we're dealing with um, a change in the way that payments are being made. And they realize that the way that that's happening um, now for real-time payments um, without third parties involved is happening really in the cryptocurrency space more than anywhere. So I think that that's one, you know, one kind of clue that they see this as a way to kind of 
get in the game in terms of that instant settlement. Um, but the other thing is that it, where, what it also does is that it gives an increased level of financial surveillance to the government because now you've got the Federal Reserve involved in all of these transactions between parties, you know, especially if you're talking about transactions that might have happened in cash or in checks or money orders or, you know, things that are that have a little more privacy related to them. Um, this there's going to be none of that here. So I think that that's another thing. And when you compare it to to Bitcoin or potentially other, um, you know, digital currencies that that are focused on privacy, um, those are still going to be a far better solution than using a FedNow type of system. They're correct that, you know, 24-7, 365 availability of it um, is convenient. Uh, the fact that it's not a blockchain means that you don't have the ability to actually publicly audit transactions the way you can mm -hmm. with Bitcoin, um, which is also something that allows them to uh, to hold all the information that that could be useful. Mm -hmm. I also think it's uh, I also think they want to get apps on people's devices. Right. Mm -hmm. So to use this, I believe you have an app. And I also think it, it certainly could be a test run for a CBDC, getting people used to using, essentially you get people used to using an app to do these things and you can just make this little change and say, okay, well, instead of using dollars now, you're going to be using a CBDC going forward. People have already been using the app for a couple of years and maybe it won't be that big of a difference or that big of a change for them. But I think we're gonna have to see how this one plays out. I th I thought it was, I thought it was a really huge announcement that didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, it's kind of. I think it's been a little bit on on the down low. I don't know if they're making it that big of a deal. I guess the fact that it's you know not happening until May at the earliest, which is you know what nine months from now, um, maybe makes it a little bit less exciting to talk about until it happens. Um, it's, you know, another one of those, here's what we're going to do type of things versus here's what we've done. But I think that it's something that we really need to watch. I can tell you that from my standpoint, you know, if I have the choice between making an instant payment to somebody using a federal reserve product versus a Bitcoin or lightning based product, um, there's not really question in my mind as to which one I would prefer to use from from a privacy standpoint and from you know a reliability standpoint the other thing is that this doesn't do anything to you know to fix the money it just helps uh, more people pay each other quicker and cheaper yeah I mean you, you could argue that this is something that should have been around five years ago that they're super late to this or even late you know earlier than that that we have got all these other competing platforms that can do things that essentially the banks cannot. And then there's also the concept that in the year 2022, I can't send money from my account to your account instantly. Right. I mean, I can do it for a small amount, but I can't do it for a significant amount. That's right. If you, uh, even with, you know, Zelle, they put limits on how much you can send um, in any given transaction. Um, actually had some painting work done on my house and paid the painter with Zelle and I had to pay him two days in a row because they wouldn't let me send the full amount that I owed him in one day. So, you know, I don't know how that's going to work here in terms of 
in terms of limits or censorship. But um, that's the other thing is that it seems like it would be fairly easy once people are using this platform for it to become pretty censorable um, if, if, if the Federal Reserve doesn't like who you're paying or how much you're paying. Uh, it's probably a flick of a switch for them to have some say in that. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a very scary thing because one of the things that, that is so important is having choice. I don't care what it is. The difference between private companies and government entities is that when you're dealing with a private company, there's always a choice. If UPS if, you, if your business is using UPS to deliver packages and UPS doesn't do a good job, you can switch to FedEx or DHL or USPS. But when you don't have a choice, uh, which is what you have, like if you're going to like uh, Department of Motor Vehicles, there's only one place to get a driver's license. So what happens? You line up for who knows how long. The service you get is always terrible. And there's nothing you can do about it because you don't have an option. So having options is really important to driving quality and value to consumers and other businesses. And you could have a situation with the, uh, this fed now app where if you get censored, even if you get censored accidentally, right? Like your account gets locked for some reason. And who knows how long it takes for some bureaucrat essentially to unlock your account. If you can ever get it unlocked. Sure. So we're going to, we're going to watch this one. I think we're going to, I actually, uh, uh, for, I'm going to put a link up in our description for some, uh, a video for fed yep. now. Uh, they, they've actually made some videos. They're short. They're about three, three and a half minutes each. And, uh, we'll, we'll include a link in there for anyone that wants to see, you know, how they're pitching it and how they're saying it'll work. There's nothing particularly innovative there. You're not really getting anything you couldn't have before. It's almost just like the Fed playing catch up, in my opinion. Yeah, I, that's I saw. I watched those some of those videos and and had the same takeaway. They were they were very uh, easy to digest, meaning that you watch it, you get a sense of what they're trying to do. I think uh, you know they did a good job on the marketing side of that, but uh, that tells you a little bit more about you know. They want everybody to just be like, okay, this is awesome. Right, right. And I didn't see any innovation in there. I didn't see anything where it's like, oh, wow, this is really like, you can do these things. I mean, even the idea, I mean, the example I gave earlier, buying a car in a parking lot, that's unlikely to happen to almost everybody. Although it did happen to a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it wasn't a parking lot. It was just a friend of his that wanted to sell a car and he had cash around. He bought the car you know, late at night, one night. Yeah. Well, we will uh, keep an eye on that one and, and see. Um, I think it's, uh, it's certainly, it's certainly a step um, that the Fed is taking towards what I would call kind of the next generation of payments. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing I was thinking of. It's, you know, I would view this because it's really not a push towards a CBDC overtly, at least yet. Um, if anything, it's more of a move against something like the Lightning Network than it is against Bitcoin. Uh, mm. If that makes sense, just because sure. it's a it's a you know Lightning is an instant settlement network that payment network that costs virtually nothing, and this is pretty much the same thing. Right. I was saying the same thing. Five cents a transaction. Lightning Network is less than a penny a transaction. But for, I think for 
a lot of merchants and a lot of people, the difference between one cent or less than one cent and five cents is it's not negligible. much. Yeah, it's negligible. Um, all right, well, let's uh, move on. The next, um, there's kind of three slides in a row that, that make up our next topic. Um, the first one was that um, Iran green lights uh, Bitcoin and crypto payments for imports. So they are, uh, you know, and Iran is, is one of these countries that in, in the same way as China, first they love Bitcoin, then they hate it, then they ban it, then they unban it, then mining's bad, then mining's good. It's kind of like, they can't make up their mind on it. Um, we talked, I think, uh, either last week or the week before about that they're trying to put some more framework in place to kind of accept it into the into the society in terms of um, regulating it and regulating mining. But um, here, what they've done is they've said they're going to allow Bitcoin to be used for payments um, for imports, um, which is clearly a way for them to uh to avoid sanctions and you know being kind of alienated from the global financial system because of uh the way they behave on the world stage mm -hmm. so um and, and i guess i'll just flip to the next one too because then we'll, we'll talk about iran and russia together um and then russia is saying that you know crypto is a safe alternative for cross-border payments that they're open to using um digital currencies to be able to um, except international payments. I would assume that that, you know, that applies certainly to energy and other things that they're selling um, abroad. Uh, we know we've seen them, you know, put limitations on how they get paid for their, for their energy supply. And um, now that they're saying that they would consider using crypto as a safe alternative for that. And again, they've been sanctioned to the hilt, uh, mm -hmm since the invasion of Ukraine and they've been excluded from the SWIFT banking system, which is, you know, a lot of how global uh, international finance operates. Yeah. I, these are all, it's almost the, would you say these two stories are almost the same story? They are pretty much the same story. Um, and what they're essentially saying is that if we're going to be excluded from everybody else's network, then we're going to use a decentralized agnostic network to be able to accomplish the same thing. Right. But, but, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is only for purchasing from outside the country or buying imports. It's not for trade within the country. Correct. It's from, like, for cross-border payments. Right. So they want inside the country, Iran is still not very hot on Bitcoin. Neither is Russia. Mm -hmm. They don't want you. They don't say, oh, this is a great way to do things. They just said, OK, well, you know, we, we have to navigate uh, the 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 waters that we can. We, we, we can't participate in the SWIFT system. So, OK, we'll use a different system and the system they're using now is simply to use Bitcoin, and I'm going to have to include in their crypto, digital assets, they call it, to, right. to purchase these, uh, these items from other countries. And I was thinking a bit more about this, and I'd like to bring it up, that you know, if you want to buy something from Germany, it, it's, a, it's a process. It's kind of a headache and a hassle, and 
especially like wiring money to a foreign country. Sure. Uh, I will admit I've never done it, but I've, I know people have done it and it's, it's just a, a headache. I mean, it can take days to get through all the red tape. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy process. I've done it, um, on a limited basis and it's never been easy. Um, and Swift is, is, you know, a linchpin in that entire process. Swift is, mm -hmm. is a messaging system, almost in the same way that you could consider Bitcoin to be a messaging system. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. It allows, it allows the, the, the difference being that, you know, if you look at the slide, you've got Swift as the cloud in the middle. So it's obviously Swift is the central authority that's managing all of these payments. But what, what you're really doing is if you look at all of these different types of financial institutions, you know, you've got banks and insurance companies and pension funds and brokers and, you know, broke and custodians, all of these types of institutions can transact with one another basically by sending a message through the SWIFT system that says, okay, um, you know, main street bank in, in USA wants to, th their customer wants to send, hundred thousand dollars to a to their you know customer in um dubai. Their vendor in dubai and that message goes through swift and the corresponding ledgers are adjusted and that the swift kind of the swift system kind of you know keeps track of that um in a similar way that you know a blockchain might do it but um obviously in a centralized fashion but you know i think i saw that last year there's an average of 42 million swift messages being sent on a daily basis around the world. So, you know, and it's not just banking transactions, it could be transfers of securities. It could be, you know, all kinds of different financial transactions that don't necessarily involve cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, looking at this. It's, it's, it's amazing. The, the similarities between this and Bitcoin, and that Bitcoin is a messaging system. Like you said, Bitcoin is really just a ledger, mm -hmm. just much in the same way this is. Um, I thought that was, on a side note, just pretty fascinating. But what we're seeing now from these countries that are being excluded from SWIFT is they're just going to find a way around it. And they're, there's, look, there's, there's always been a way around it. Sometimes it's it's better, sometimes it's worse. Certain countries that have been sanctioned end up in complete ruin. I would say like uh, North Korea. Sure. But but now with uh, with Bitcoin and other digital assets, there's always a way. So if I want to send money from the U.S. to Dubai and I want to use Bitcoin to do that, it's no problem at all. I just need an address. It doesn't matter to me if it's in Dubai or uh, Virginia. Korea, yeah. I mean, it, it makes no difference. Um, and sending money internationally with Bitcoin is no different than sending money to your neighbor with Bitcoin. Sure. It's completely agnostic in terms of, you know, right. there's no cross-border limitations in that sense. Right. So how this plays out on the geopolitical landscape with Iran and Russia and probably some other bad actors that are going to keep using these digital assets, including crypto, to evade sanctions will be very interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, and I was going to ask you this, you know, how do you view this in terms of how it hurts or helps Bitcoin, you know, to see when, when, you know, this to me seems like some level of fodder for people who want to uh, disparage Bitcoin, you know, oh, well, you know, it's only a way for countries who are intentionally alienated from the rest of the world to not be alienated. Um, And I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Well, look, there's there's always someone that has an argument and there's always an argument to be made. And so you could say this, like, let's just say hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, the, the world gets together, all 200 or so countries decide, okay, we are going to put it into Bitcoin. You cannot interact with our banking system. You can't do anything. And even though they can't kill Bitcoin, because there's, you know, it's, it's, it's designed to, to stay alive. Um, let's just say that they are able to dissuade the public from adoption. So the only people who are into Bitcoin are kind of like hardcore Bitcoiners. And so essentially Bitcoin is gone. So for the sake of this discussion, hypothetically, Bitcoin disappears, right? It becomes mm-hmm. irrelevant. Okay. Well, then you have Ethereum and you have Cardano and you've got a whole list of other digital assets you can do the exact same thing with it's sure. not bitcoin something else will inevitably be there and not necessarily just one token it could be numerous tokens will be there so that argument well you know this i mean all the stuff that bitcoin is used for crime you, we know that that is not the case it's it's a terrible tool to use for buying illicit substances or doing illicit actions because everything is traceable. Sure. So cash by far is used for the most illegal activities. It's not even, you could add up everything that's being done on every other platform altogether and it will barely make a dent in how much cash is being used for drugs and weapons and whatever. Yeah, I think these things. The last estimate I saw was something like, you know, if you look at organized crime, it's something like 80% or more of it is done in U.S. dollar cash. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, if you really want to look up something, just search the Internet for like the fines that like Deutsche Bank have paid. I'll just give you one bank, <laughs> just Deutsche Bank. Um, they're involved with the drug dealers. They're involved with all of these bad actors and they help them launder their money. So it's funny that Bitcoin has this anti-money laundering thing where like the big, where the, it's funny that Bitcoin has this, uh, this, this sort of anti-money laundering narrative and requirement, right? Stigma. But the biggest banks in the world have helped the biggest criminals in the world launder their money for decades. Absolutely. And in very large numbers. Mm -hmm. And they've been caught doing it. It's not a, not some kind of theory it's just they've been caught been punished they get fined it's kind of a funny situation you know you make 10 billion dollars doing something and then they fine you a billion dollars people say oh look this billion dollar fine like they're really cracking down on them well yeah it's a billion dollar fine but they netted nine billion (laughs) no one went to jail so this stuff goes on all the time and 
uh, a narrative like that, there's always going to be someone saying something silly and just trying to, uh, to be a mouthpiece for the establishment. Never used that term before, but I think sure. that it, it, you know, there, there don't, don't kid yourself that people aren't, there aren't benefits for people to say things that maintain the status quo or just to knock down things that are new or better, or that could actually help people. You know, one of the things yeah. I think we've learned is that I, I hope this is not, con we're, we're not trying to be controversial, but, but the, the government doesn't do a great job of helping people. I, I think, uh, Ronald Reagan, Ronald said, Reagan. Yeah. yeah, nine scariest words. Hi, I'm, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I have, I will say this though. I didn't like seeing it being Russia and Iran as far as the countries that were looking to do this. I don't like that. I would much prefer it if it was Brazil and Argentina agreeing to do this because sure. they've been hurt by the dollar over the years and they've been both been hurt by really bad inflation over the years. So I would much prefer it to be like a, a, a what I call like a non-bad state actor. <laughs> yeah, like Russia somewhere. and Iran, they're two not good countries. Uh, so it's time will tell on this, but I, 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 when we see, you know, the theme for tonight's show is change is coming. And I think that we can see that We've got the Federal Reserve making changes. Federal Reserve, for the first time, is going to introduce a product that has is consumer facing. Right, consumer it's always been a wholesaler. Yeah, right, right. So that's a change. And now you're seeing these other countries who always had a way to do it. I mean, there's always a way to get around it. Don't you know? There's there's there there are ways. Um, and so now we're seeing Russia and China, I'm sorry, Russia and Iran, two countries that have not been particularly friendly to Bitcoin, starting to use it for their own benefit to evade sanctions. Right. And so, yeah. it'll just spread. Well, and that's what I was going to say. And, and, you know, like you said at the beginning, our goal here is to be intellectually honest. And, and you know, we can recognize this can be... Um, a use case for Bitcoin while also maybe not being the greatest example of who we want to be the use case for Bitcoin. But I think the key there is that as long as we continue to see adoption in different places in different ways, um, I'm not going to get too hung up on some bad actors doing things with Bitcoin that anybody can do with Bitcoin. It's still meant for everybody. And, you know, I think you see that type of, that type of rhetoric, you know, when you read Twitter and whatnot, that it, it your enemies can use Bitcoin too. It's designed for everybody. There, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care um, who uses it. So from that standpoint, I don't have a problem with it. Um, the problem is that these types of stories tend to get a lot more uh, publicity than the exciting ones about really helping people around the world that need to be included in the financial system mm -hmm. that aren't. And so, right. um, mm -hmm. you know, I think part of what we want to do is, is show both sides of that. And while there are these types of stories that um, that maybe aren't the best course of adoption news for Bitcoin, um, it's still adoption. So, you know, it's like, no, all, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Right. It's all right. right. It's all good. So anyway, um, anything else on that? You want to move on to the, the next couple of stories? Oh, let's move on.
Okay. Um, the last two are really kind of small. Like we said, there wasn't a whole lot going on this week that was really, uh, really that that critical. But this was an interesting one. Um, Indonesia is a new country that we haven't seen yet. And I don't think in our discussions, I think over the past few weeks, we've probably, you know, we're probably up to somewhere around a dozen countries that we've talked about. We should probably count and keep a tra keep track of mm -hmm. how many countries we report on here. Um, but uh, Indonesia's, Indonesia's biggest tech firm um, is buying a exchange. Um, seems like a fairly small deal. It's a little under eight and a half million dollars. Uh, it, of a transaction to buy this exchange. But um, again, it is Indonesia, you know, coming to the party. Yeah, another country. Uh, it's just another country. And and you have to, you start to realize that, and this is something I think we've, we've done a good job of focusing on is that this is a global type of adoption. And uh, the U.S. is a very rich country. Uh, Indonesia is not a very rich country. In fact, uh, this was only uh, $8.38 million purchase, mm -hmm. uh, which we would see that that kind of number doesn't really move the needle much in our country. But it just shows you that it's happening. This this change is happening all over the world. And I don't think there's much more. For, for me, there's not much more to take from this, which is just that Indonesia is joining the party. Yep. So welcome, Indonesia. Um, all right. And then the last one, um, this one I thought was a little bit was a little bit different than some of the other uh, credit card type of products that we've talked about um, or payment cards. Sorry, these aren't credit cards, um, but Nearpay, which uh, I believe is a Saudi company, um, is launching virtual cards um, through an app, an iOS and Android app um, to allow Bitcoin and crypto users to uh, spend their their Bitcoin or other digital assets um, on their platform. And what I thought was interesting about this compared to the payment card stories that we talked about last week is that these are not prepaid cards um, where you're converting you know Bitcoin to fiat and then spending it. Um, this is more like like what we talked about with banks kind of becoming a one-stop shop for all of the all of your money um so you know the idea that eventually you might have a checking account a savings account and a bitcoin account mm -hmm. um in this case um this is a similar type of of environment where you'll have um different types of monetary assets on the platform whether it's fiat currency cryptocurrency bitcoin whatever um, and you'll be able to use these virtual debit card products um, through the Visa network that will allow you to spend whichever asset you want um, and you know convert it at the time of sale to the whatever fiat currency you're paying in. Um, and this is, uh, I believe it's being offered in the UK, in the European Economic Zone, um, and you know only places that accept Visa. And I think the unique thing about this is that this is not, like you said, it's not a prepaid card. You have an app on your phone, you pay for your transaction like you're using a Visa, and then it automatically pulls 
whatever digital asset you're using, we're going to say Bitcoin for this, it automatically pulls that out of your Bitcoin wallet to pay for the transaction. So it pulls your Bitcoin out, essentially converts it to fiat and pays with fiat using the Visa network. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is um, there's a custody issue that I have here, um, you know, that we talk about a lot is that you mm -hmm. don't want to keep your Bitcoin in a custodial um, environment. You want it off of exchanges. You don't want it in a hot wallet. You don't want it connected to the Internet. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's gonna if this is gonna continue to move forward, there you have to have the ability to spend it and pay for things with it, um, whether that's using Lightning or whether that's using you know small amounts of Bitcoin. Um, you need to be able to do that. So something like this, where you could you know have essentially spending money on a platform that you can then use somewhere that takes Visa, um, I think make sense you know i would just again this is something that you have to be careful with and you don't want all your bitcoin sitting on their platform but you know maybe just enough to be able to use to spend mm -hmm. um, and then whatever your uh, savings type of money is would be you know held somewhere uh offline in a cold storage and hopefully multi mm -hmm. scenario yeah I, I think this is uh to me i think this is another off-ramp i think the off-ramps are mm -hmm. really important uh, there was an argument that people made before who said, okay, all these things, how do you spend them? What are you going to do with them? What can you buy with Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. And the answer is at this point, you can load up a number of different Visa cards, mostly virtual. I think there are, I think BitPay has a, an actual physical card. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are other physical cards out there also, but, but considering the fact that you use a virtual card a lot more than you use a physical card, right? Anything you order online is virtual, et cetera. So the, the argument of, you know, how are you going to spend it? What are you going to do with it? These off-ramps provide the answer to that, the answer to that, and they are important. Yep. So any new off-ramp that we see, any new, this, and this is a bit of a creative off-ramp where, it's not prepaid and it's doing this on the fly conversion uh, and it's pulling from your account. Obviously there's some issues with that because you're giving this payment processor access to your wallet, mm -hmm. which is something you, you, you don't only want to do with a very, very limited type wallet, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that let's just say you had, $1,000 in your short-term wallet that you would want to use for this. Mm -hmm. And let's say you make a $25 purchase. And they take $1,000 to clear out your wallet of your Bitcoin. Here's my question. How are you going to get it back? Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, but you know, if, if, you, if you ask them to get it back to you and they say no, you can go through some kind of legal process. Of course, you can try to get your your Bitcoin back, but Bitcoin transaction is permanent, and you would have to you'd have to get someone else involved to pay me a court involved to do this. And and doing that for for uh, you know a thousand dollars is very difficult to get a court involved. So sure. well, I think we talked about this last week with with the. Um, 
I believe it was at the Sullivan Bank story, that you know they were offering some sort of insurance product, kind of like an FDIC type of thing. So yeah. I think you know that's something that I would hope you'll see come around as this kind of product evolves, where if you've got the the money on that platform, there is some level of security in terms of if you if you lose it, if it gets stolen you have some recourse, you know, at least in the form of insurance. Again, you know, it's never easy to make an insurance claim no matter what mm -hmm. kind it is. Um, mm -hmm. But um, but if there is some level of kind of purchase protection like you see with credit cards and um, and debit cards to an extent, then uh, then maybe that's the direction it would need to, to head for people to really be comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Well, another thing is that if you steal your customer's money, it's not good for business. Yeah, you're not in business too long. Right. I mean, if you if you're a, if you're a payment platform of any kind, and it, and there's the word on the street is that you, uh, uh, you know, your customers can't trust you with their money. It's 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 not a good thing. But yeah. but still, people need to be mindful of the fact that these things do happen. You know, sure. there it's it's uh, maybe they don't want to be a long term business. Maybe they just want to steal a bunch of people's <laughs> money right. up front. You know, get it to a certain point and run off with it. Stranger things have happened. Well, we will see. All right. Um, that was our last story. Anything else? Um, no, not really. I, I, I want to circle back to our theme, which is, you know, that the change is here. And, and each week as we go through these things, we see what's there. Um, we could see that even if we go backwards, we go back week, two weeks, three weeks and see what's happening. There's a lot of change going on in the world right now. A lot. I think we're not just in the world of, of digital assets and Bitcoin and finance. Um, the world is changing. And, um, and one of the biggest things to make the world go round is money. And that's what we are focused on. And the money is certainly changing. So ignoring everything else, just focusing on the money part, we're seeing, well, the, we're, what we're seeing with Russia and Iran, I think is a very interesting, a very interesting course of events. And I do not know how the Western world plans on dealing with, with this change. I mean, it's so easy for them to avoid sanctions right now that the U.S. needs a better game plan. And um, I think Russia has made that very clear that the sanctions that were put on them for their, uh, their invasion of Ukraine have probably hurt the Western world much more than they've hurt Russia. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those situations where, you know, Europe's going to have a, a long, hard winter because of, their energy needs and the fact that mm. they're so dependent on Russia and, you know, all of that is uh, the way that they deal with that is going to be, I think, a big change in the world for sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying like the, the old carrots and old sticks that, that existed on the geopolitical scene seem to be changing very, very rapidly. And I think we might be moving more towards, uh, commodity-based leverage in economies, which is another change. Sure. So, um, 
So I just think that when we look out over this landscape and see the different countries involved and see what's happening, uh, certainly a lot of change going on and very difficult to predict where it's going to go. Yeah, I agree. So we'll just keep watching it and keep talking about it. Right. All right, Matt. Well, can you tell people where to find us, please? Absolutely. Uh, website, btcbutlers.com. You can email us there, info at btcbutlers.com, uh, or contact us directly through the contact sheet on our website. Our Twitter account, at btcbutlers, DMs are open. Um, if you are enjoying this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, like Michael said, download the podcast. Uh, last I heard, we are downloaded in 39 different countries. So uh, we're really pleased and grateful for all the listeners around the world. Um, and if you want help implementing best practices as a Bitcoin owner, whether that's buying Bitcoin, how to store your Bitcoin, setting up an inheritance plan for your Bitcoin or running your own node, Bitcoin Butlers is ready and able to help um, with a specific focus on inheritance planning and our sovereign inheritance planning guide is available on our website as well. Um, if you have questions, reach out to us, comment. Um, we would always love to take questions uh, for future episodes for topics of discussion. And um, we hope to hear from you. All right, Matt, I think I lost you there. Are you back? All right, Matt. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Until next time. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.